on a school campus let's enchant some of the trees so that they just randomly attack people back in the first book Hermione got docked five points for taking a book out of the library (laughs) (laughs) they just got their daughter of the car across England (laughs) revealing it to countless muggles crashed it into an ancient tree and they're not going to get a single point because it happened before six o'clock in the afternoon on that particular day it's fine feels like McGonagall's got him off on a technicality here (laughs) they walk into the common room it's like proper heroes welcome. I was like, yes! <laughs> Reckless behaviour, it's the Gryffindor way! Hello and welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello! Uh, we're back with uh, a return to a, a series that we featured very recently, or very recently as far as your podcast feed is concerned, which is Harry Potter. It's Harry Potter Harry. 2, the sequel, The Pottering. Potter. The Chamber of Secrets. Ooh. Did you hear the little rustle of paper as I actually checked the name on the... On the t- <laughs> <laughs> this is a, yet another glimpse behind Oz's curtain here as we find out how far in advance it is that Matt makes the notes before we record a cast. <laughs> it was like, and we're doing the book, a Harry Potter book, big favourite of mine. It's... <laughs> Huge fan. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secret. What is this? Yeah, so um, so the, the the second the second in the series. If you haven't heard the first, let's do the first one. It's a a couple of podcasts back in the feed. Um, we're going to do this one like last time in four parts. So we're going to break it down, uh, do it in four sections. Uh, this week we're going from chapters one to five, so up to and including the Whomping Willow. Um, if you want to, I mean, not many do, normally people just read it and then let us catch up with the podcast, but if you want to read along with us, then chapter six to ten is next, no, six to nine is next week, ten to fourteen week three, and fifteen to eighteen week four. Simple as that. So your opening thoughts on doing book two after sort of in the context of what was a pretty successful book one, we, we quite we quite liked, well, we, we really liked, didn't we, um, the first book? Yeah, yeah, it was... I think because you know the whole series is is becomes this like huge behemoth not only with the movies but the books you know starting to weigh more than my car you just sort of you forget how sort of sprightly it feels at the end it's like light on its feet and 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 kind of um yeah it's really deft actually like really interesting kind of book to read really really effective so like I'm I, I came to this I'm yeah I'm I'm up for it like I just I'm I'm interested to have a bit more of that kind of spring in my step of uh, of how the the first one felt yeah I mean if you listen to us for the first time we're not sort of fun a fan cast but we because we do a range of books but <laughs> we, we ate them all <laughs> <laughs> no but we, we come to each book with sort of like an excitement and a willingness for it to be good don't we I think that's probably fair um, Absolutely, and the way you can tell that is the way we started off reading Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Because I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first cast we really took it seriously, and then by the fourth, <laughs> it turned into a bit of a farce. But it's a good lesson if you want to um, kill a few hours. It's very worth it. I feel I should say that we I didn't come into Harry Potter with anything like the misgivings that I had about <laughs> um, about the Da Vinci Code, um, and, and of course uh, I was I was right not to have those concerns. Yeah, it's very enjoyable so far. So chapter one, the worst birthday. Um, 
unsurprisingly, the worst birthday will be Harry's because he's back at the Dursleys. Uh-huh. Summer at the Dursleys. and uh, Summer at the Dursleys and other synonyms for terrible. <laughs> um, there's a bit of trouble with the owl in the night because he's got his owl caged up because um, Vernon won't let, <laughs> won't let the owl fly around outside the house. So, um, so he's keeping everyone up. But in the morning, uh, Dudley comes down. He's loving the bacon. They're ladling on the bacon for the big lad. Yeah. Uh, and there's a little altercation here where um, Dudley wants more bacon and Harry says, you need to say the magic word and the mention of the magic word <laughs> just sets, sets poor Vernon off. Who, if you remember in the first book, has some kind of terrific breakdown um, because of magic. So he's, he's someone who hates it like with an absolute passion. Yeah, yeah, and actually that does make more, like, remembering what happened to him in the first book, albeit that it was very much played for laugh that this person was traumatised, horrible as he was. Um, like, that that helps me to understand slightly more, because I, I, I will say that, like, the the standard Harry Potter book opening, like, Summer at the Dursleys, it was just a. It just means that I start all of these books going, oh, it's so rubbish. Because I like, I just, I like Harry's not enjoying it, so I'm not enjoying it. So I'm just really feeling this kind of like, why must we start in this terrible place with the room <laughs> under the stairs and the owl in the cage? <laughs> by the way, by the way, owl in a cage. I had reason quite recently to see an owl in person and up close. Have you recently seen an owl? Yeah, they're pretty big. Uh, exactly, Matthew. Exactly. Fully a metre from head to tip of terrifyingly massive talon, right? And I'm trying to imagine the size of... Ca- like, you're giving a 12-year-old a cage to carry this thing around in. There's presumably big enough for it to spread its wings, which means it's like two metres across. Are these cages on wheels? Is my question. And how much does Vernon Dursley hate this thing that he's decided that having an animal that size in a cage that size for the entire summer is better than just letting it out for a bit of a flap? Yeah, because it's one of those things. It's not like it looks particularly magical just flying about. It's just an owl. Yeah, it's just a big owl. Dursleys have got into birds of prey. All right. Yeah, I suppose that speaks to his sort of little like meanness and unreasonableness. Um, Very much. Anyway, Harry's missing Hogwarts. All his stuff is under lock and key. Of course it is. <laughs> and um, for a moment, it looks like the Dursleys might have remembered his birthday because Vernon goes, it's a very special day. And Harry's like, oh, here we go. Present on the way. I mean, if he does genuinely think that, then he's not going to pay attention. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's a special day because... Vernon's got a big deal that he's trying to get through and uh, some some big big exec in the drill business is coming around for tea tonight. <laughs> I know I know it's drill bits. I do know that it's building tools, but in my <laughs> mind all I could see was like, you know, famously famously transgressive boundary pushing rappers from about, you know, five or ten years ago, really just <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'd it, love that, wouldn't you? Vernon Dursley throwing down. <laughs> so he's got to stay. So um, the, the the big plan to sort of get this deal over the line is for Vernon's house to appear like the perfect family home, which involves Harry staying in his room and Dudley sort of doing the... <laughs> the perfect doing the... family house containing my incarcerated <laughs> nephew. <laughs> 
and uh, and Dudley's doing the charm offensive. The, my favourite bit of his charm offensive is how he's going to say to this this random drill executive, "The uh, <laughs> I was told to write an essay about my hero at school, and I chose you, like, the drill guy." <laughs> like, have they met? Like, what's what's the basis of that that particular little play? Although I suppose, you know. Asking Dudley Dursley to be like the tip of your charm offensive is a little bit like finding a mouse and asking them to be in charge of running, let's say, the kitchens on board the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it just makes no sense whatsoever. There's no there's no overlap between those two spheres of experience. <laughs> so he's already onto a loser here, Vernon Dursley, if he mistrusts his own ability to charm somebody so poorly that he's sending Dudley Dursley out mm-hmm. to try and smooth things over. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. he came up with something as plausible as I decided to write an essay at school about you, a potential future business contact of my father whom I've never <laughs> met before. <laughs> um, so Harry goes for a, for a wander outside the house. He's down the bottom of the garden and he sees a pair of eyes in the hedge, but he's distracted because Dudley turns up for a bit of taunting and says, I know it's your birthday. Um, <laughs> he comes in for a gloat, man. He comes in for a gloat. And Harry responds with a... Uh, he starts pretending to use magic words, um, which gets him a big punishment. But he sort of thinks, oh, I'm going to take the hit because I'm fed up because it's my birthday. And all the other person who remembers is this guy who wants to taunt me. Who amongst us was not on the chair whooping and hollering at Harry at that moment? Like, <laughs> yeah, go on, son, give him a bit. Take the hit, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so that means he gets a load of chores. So he's, he's having to sort of do all these rubbish chores in the middle of the summer uh, for the rest of the day. And as he's sort of scrubbing away at the floor or whatever, he's, he's saying to himself, oh, yeah, I wish you could see the famous Harry Potter now, all these people who go on and on about me. Um, yeah. I thought that was quite good because that is very much sort of the reason he's stuck with the Dursleys is because Dumbledore wanted him to sort of keep his feet on the ground by having to do rubbish <laughs> like this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's like you could think of other places, couldn't you, where you might be able to do that without giving him to people who literally lock him up. <laughs> like, very, I mean, I know we talked about this last time, but it's very questionable. Like our, one of our first introductions to Dumbledore is that he's the bloke who thought that this would be a good place for Harry Potter to spend his life. <laughs> Until yeah. the start of secondary school as well, right? It's like, that's quite a formative period. Oh, just give him to those heartless swine over there. I'm sure nothing bad will come of it. Yeah, it's amazing that the character that he's got, that he's sort of survived and thrived in this environment, because he could have just wilted, couldn't he? He could have just been a shadow of like a shadow yeah, of a boy. Imagine by the time them he turning up. It's like he gets a letter on the first day of Hogwarts going, you know, go on, platform nine and three quarters, the whole bit, time for the Hogwarts Express, magic, magic, Shazam. And, and, and he could just have been... <laughs> he could already have been living a life of crime, you know? Like. <laughs> just went off the deep end because he's had enough yeah. of Dursley's shit. Yeah, he's mean, just like, run away from our Age 11. <laughs> just like, sod it, I'm out. Harry Potter, yeah, no, sorry. Did you not see the, the reports? We haven't seen them for years. Like, it could have been that. Um, so Harry gets back to his room after all that work um, to spend the evening of, of incarceration. And... There's someone on his bed. And and this is a great chapter cliffhanger. I think this is sort of... R.L. Stein should take note of this because it's like a, a cliffhanger that does resolve itself in an interesting way. It is not sort of, It doesn't feel cheap, but it's a really good chapter one cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah, it, 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 it really is. And 
I'll say that for the construction of this chapter is that it does start slowly, but there's some there's some delightful comedy as we go along, and then and and then cliffhanger clicks in with a crunch right at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think the first two chapters are feel a little slow, and they do from what I remember in every of, of the books because there's got to be a good couple of pages as well of basically recapping last the last book. So um, I did um, notice that this time. Yeah. Harry sat back thinking about Voldemort. Brackets <laughs> the evil wizard from last time who had tried to kill him twice already before. Yeah. <laughs> like, and actually, when you see that as like the motor of the plot across the whole series, he's like, "Wow, maybe Voldemort's not as impressive as we think he is if he's already had two cracks at this twelve-year-old <laughs> and has not managed to do him the first slightest bit of harm." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so into chapter two, Dobby's warning. So um, this the, the, the creature, for it is a creature, on Harry's bed mm. is uh, a house elf called Dobby. So these are these little creatures that uh, uh, live in people's houses and have to basically do all the housework. Um, and they don't have any sort of rights or options to leave. They're just sort of, they're almost like, you know, little, little, little elf slaves. Um, yeah, it's it, this. This is a dark motif to introduce at this point. It is, say. isn't it? Yeah, it's a book it really two, is. and like book book two. You know, oh, you know, happy fun times. So to go alongside, you know, the harrowing of Vernon Dursley in the first <laughs> book, we we've now got okay. Let's just say in Magic Land, there's such a thing as slavery, and like. Let's just roll with that as a, as a as a sort of as a way of talking about the thing, and I like this chapter. I remembered this as I was reading it this time when I first read these books when I was a kid. This chapter really put me off because it's not only everything that he's not telling Harry; it's also the, all the things that we're not being told about how this works. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, where from where did these house elves appear, and how, and like. Are we cool with this? They seem quite sentient, you know. Mm. I realise this may not be, you know, the sort of particular subtext to pick at at this point, but it is is one of those examples where Harry Potter just has a, like a little bit of the story where you're like, ah, yeah, what? The, what? Yeah. Um, just just as an aside, um, the harrowing of Vernon Dursley, I'd definitely buy that if it was a side book. You know, like she's done a few like side projects, like uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. If there was a the harrowing of Vernon Dursley yeah, in ba- seven volumes, yeah, it's basically his diary over the course of seven <laughs> seven books as he descends oh, into. Oh, you'd madness. buy it, wouldn't you? You'd buy it. <laughs> Turns out he let the owl out again. <laughs> I think, yeah, by by the end of maybe book four, one of his entries is just, he let the owl out, he let the owl out here. <laughs> <laughs> he held the let out, he let the owl out. <laughs> there is, he let the owl out, there is no way out, he is coming. <laughs> the way is shut. <laughs> the way is shut. <laughs> I will have that in a bit, actually. Um, that's going to happen. Yeah, but, um, yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, Dobby's come on a, on a bit of a mission to, to warn Harry that he can't go back to Hogwarts because there's some some dastardly plot in motion which is going to put his life in danger. Um, credible, you'd have to say, credible, given his experience yeah. so far. Yeah. Dastardly <laughs> plot, checks out. Yeah, you wouldn't blame Harry for being the kind of guy who sort of jumps at shadows at this stage, so um, he's yeah, got to be a bit yeah. worried at this. Um, there's a nice little beat here where um, Harry... Uh, starts to mention Hermione and then starts to mention Ron and immediately stops himself because it sort of it hurts to talk about them because 
he, he, you know, they're close friends and he hasn't heard from them all summer and he misses them. Yeah, and I that, that is nice. really sad, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think, like, that that motif there of, like, you know, he's grown up in this awful, like, almost comically terrible situation and then he's gone to this place which is, like, unimaginable realisation of anything he could barely even have begun to dream about. Mm-hmm. And then he's been sent back to the terrible place, but at least he's got friends, and now they haven't spoken to him for months. Mm. And it's it's like it's it is really like for me actually, this was the the saddest bit of these first two chapters with all of the things that it doesn't that it doesn't explain. Like in terms of what happens to Harry, um, it's just oh yeah, it's just really sad. Imagine that. Imagine going home and being like, "Oh, busy mates, yeah, fantastic. Found the new freedom, all of that." Mm. Write a letter, no reply. Absolutely ghosted by everybody you've just met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the uh, so that that's another bit of the bit of mystery at the moment, which we soon get unravelled. But the interesting thing here is the fact that there's a plot which could put Harry's life in danger. You think, all oh, right? Here, Did we it, say fact? Sorry. I'm just going to say, is is there a... I mean, I suppose that actually, no, fair enough, there is definitely a plot that will put Harry, Harry Potter's life in danger. That is what the whole series is about. I'm just not sure hearing it from Dobby necessarily justifies <laughs> yeah. calling it a fact. Yeah. Is he a reliable source? This yeah. guy who, who, well, who and, stands and, and his, and his the, hands the, in the oven. Oh, my goodness. His <laughs> hands in the oven, his head against the wall. Just, like, it's just... It's such a weird, like kind of itchy, antsy kind of, like, presence that, that Dobby is in this. And he's clearly, you know, like, he starts smacking his head against the wall and Harry asks him particular questions, and mm. it's just really weird. But Harry doesn't think to ask a question, which I I assume, you know, you should be able to ask of a house elf, which is, who do you work for? Mm. Never oh, asks yeah. that question. Mm. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be able to say... Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure okay. it'd be I'm like. Just... I'm pretty sure that maybe Harry's sort of twig that that might lead to some some other horrific self harm. Who thinks I'm not going to even go there? Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just being here. I'm just, okay. Fine. That that's definitely me behind the sofa going. Don't go in there <laughs> behind the door. <laughs> um, but the thing, the surprising thing about this is, oh yeah, another plot on Harry's life. Surprise, surprise. And you immediately think, oh, here he is. Voldy's at it again. Attempt number three. <laughs> Going for the going for the hat trick, third time's a charm. But um turns out no, it's nothing to do with Voldemort, apparently. Oh but well who? that sounds okay. So yeah. turns out he has more than one person to be really frightened of. Mm. And since the first person he's frightened of frightens everybody else so much they can barely say his name. Doesn't bode terribly well for for big HP source, does it? Yeah, not at all. Um during the course of this conversation, we find out that Dobby has been the one intercepting all of Harry's letters. He's got this massive wad of letters, and he's he's doing it so he thinks this is like a rudimentary plan. If Harry thinks none of his friends like him, he's not going to want to go back. He to just school. won't go back. <laughs> Whereas he obviously doesn't know Harry's character at all, because the first thing he wants to do if he doesn't get any letters is to confront them and say, "Why, why the hell have you been writing to me?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, and quite rightly. It's such a half-baked plan, isn't it? I've been stopping all of your letters, but now I'm here. I'm going to tell you that I've been stopping all of your letters. But you still have to listen to me and only believe the view of the world that I'm telling to you. It'll all be fine. What do you mean, give me the letters? 
I suppose some of the reason it's so hard to read with Dobby and, and it's such, it makes you feel so uncomfortable is because he's so obviously childlike as well, isn't he? Um, even on top yes, of everything yeah, else, um, he feels like quite an innocent character, um, yeah. and that that is a that adds to the sort of the, the real like yeah sort of awful nature of this. It's, 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 it is it is a very um, it's it's a very it's a very I think it's a very different chapter to read as an adult as you would as a child because you kind of you can yeah. you can sort of barrel over a lot of sort of any implications of this. Um, yeah, this but this time I I yeah I smacked right into the implications of mm. this character and and this whole scene. Yeah, I think I think I'd imagine most people reading it as an adult would have the same same reaction. So anyway, this builds to a head where. Dobby decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and make sure that Harry can't go back by basically annoying the Dursleys. He comes downstairs, Harry follows him down, and there's the pudding incident, which is is one of the few times, actually, where the um, the telling of it on screen in the films is, is, is actually better than in the book. The book's fine, but one of my favourite parts of the films is, I don't know if you remember seeing it, where... The Dobby sort of lifts this um, this big dessert and, and it splats down onto the floor, but um, yeah. <laughs> in the films the dessert starts hovering, and then you see sort of I think it's Vernon or Petunia look up, and they can see the floating <laughs> dessert in the <laughs> foreground, and they can see Harry sort of creeping towards it in the background, <laughs> and he's obviously trying to catch it, but it looks like he's like using his special powers to just. <laughs> Okay, um, just mess everything <laughs> up. <laughs> oh dear. I'd forgotten that staging, but yes, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> that, and, and, you know, then smash cut to the harrowing of Vernon Dursley, volume two. <laughs> like, yeah. saw the little blighter creeping across the kitchen floor, holding the pudding in the air by magic. <laughs> not so, sure how the owl was involved but it definitely was <laughs> so Dobby's obviously responsible for this but he disappears in like a crack and then, then sort of yeah, Harry's left red handed um, it's, it's just the, like what Dobby ends up doing in this chapter is just like trickster in a story like chapter one, page one, bullet point one just mess stuff up just go for it <laughs> The um, Vernon does a heroic effort at sort of trying to smooth this over, where he says to this says to this this guy, "Oh, it's so nephew. He's disturbed. Meeting new people upsets him." And as if like he's just <laughs> he's, this kid's just crept down, seeing that there are new people in the house, and just chucked a trifle across just the room. Thrown it. <laughs> Happy new business deal to the ground. Yeah. Deal with that. Shuts it down. <laughs> I like that that like that the way that's presented in the text is that like he's almost getting away with it by going this is my disturbed nephew upstairs that we didn't tell you about yeah because that is a little bit like the oh you know we locked him up what 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 (laughs) that's a perfectly normal thing to do for disturbed people in your family As, as if your average drill bit business deal doer wouldn't look at that and go it's a bit odd mate to be honest Yeah, so um, so it looks like he might have just smoothed it over, and then this owl flies through the room to drop a letter off, <laughs> and it turns out that this drill guy's wife's got a crippling fear of birds. 
So she just freaks out. And he assumes and then an it's owl some... came through. <laughs> yeah, and this guy just assumes it's some like massive, inconsiderate, practical joke and leaves him <laughs> off. I love what that must say about all of his previous dealings with <laughs> Vernon Dursley as well. That he goes immediately from, you know, slightly over-enthusiastic son, fine. You know, um, perfectly lovely meal, I suppose. Uh, you know, let's do all of that. <laughs> then, then a punning gets dropped and a bird flies through. And he goes, <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew, Dursley, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd pull something <laughs> playing on my wife's vulnerabilities in this way, you swine. <laughs> yeah, because because Vernon Dursley's, surely it's some like office Christmas party at some point, he will have picked up a trophy for man least likely to play a practical joke because that's exactly who he is. <laughs> Yeah. Man, man least likely ever to be seen in the same room as a single individual shenanigan. Exactly. Yeah. Vernon Dursley. So the but the bad news here is the letter is a warning from um sort of the the Ministry for Magic saying reminder um you can't perform magic outside of school and we've had word that there's a someone performed a hobby charm in this house. And this is this is really bad news because the one thing that Gary's had over the family is their yeah. sort of fear that he might do a bit of magic whenever the mood takes him. And this shows that, ah, he can't do magic. So now the Dursleys can lock him in and there's nothing he can do to get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's astonishingly efficient work from the Ministry of Magic there, given that this, this magic hovering thing took place... Five minutes, two minutes ago, less than. Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea of there just being this kind of immediate, like, <laughs> uh, reprimanding letters as a service thing that the government department in question really prioritises. Like, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things. Like, for example, the fact that the most powerful evil wizard ever made has been on the loose for fifteen years and nobody <laughs> knows where he is. We'll deal with that when we get to it, right? But let me tell you, if we don't get a letter telling a school child off for doing a relatively harmless prank using magic within two minutes, heads will roll. Yeah. Also, does that mean that they know literally everywhere instantly whenever anybody does any magic and what kind of magic it is? Well, yeah, the, the, I have the some more... questions then about their law enforcement approach. Yeah, I mean, the more you think about this, the harder it is to sort of believe because, I mean, as much as sort of a, a world where wizards exist is easy to believe. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, in a world where wizards exist, which I accept completely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sort of, you would think if they had this monitoring thing, um, they would just be monitoring the wands and, like, you know, whenever this wand's been used then yeah. they're, they're gonna, he's going to cop hell for it. Because mon- monitoring it by geographic location seems a really poor way to do it, because he could be anywhere else outside his house using it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, absolutely. Sort of, sort of saying, yeah. okay, if magic happens in this house, we've got him, rather than if magic <laughs> happens with this wand, we've got him. But uh, anyway. You're right, actually. That's a good version. You should write a letter to the Ministry of Magic. Oh, Dear sir, yeah. are you aware? <laughs> Dear JK, a couple of pointers. I know this book's sold a few. <laughs> but if I... For the next it, edition. <laughs> have you considered? Yeah. Um, so, 
Harry gets stuck in his room. He's getting the proper sort of prisoner treatment. He's getting cold soup shoved through the door. That's all he gets to eat. She's not even warmed it up, Dave. She's just, it's just, put it's just it a tin of Heinz. She's put it in, walked over to the microwave and thought, ah, too good for him. Just took it up like no. that. <laughs> um, so he goes to sleep. He dreams um, that he's, he's, he's caged and he's rattling the bars. And then he hears rattling which wakes him up, and we get to chapter three, The Burrow. So, just before we do that, and who's at the window, I'm going to, under the infuriating thing, and just take a moment before we get to the whole, you know, satisfaction of that. What's Vernon Dursley's reputation amongst his neighbours? <laughs> What's what? I just love it. I love how we're going back to Vernon and say it again. We are going back to Vernon because we're about to leave their house and thank heaven. But we have we have discovered this can be more more enjoyable than I previously thought. Certainly when reading it, he's put bars up, <laughs> right? Yeah, on the outside of his house, and in the movies, it's very much a sort of sort of off the peg English suburb of which there are you know thousands and thousands you know with these houses very very close together largely overlooked very kind of small back gardens right which means that he's gone outside and turned one of the bedrooms in his house visibly from the outside of his house (laughs) into a prison cell and nobody has gone about vernon yeah well i got in there (laughs) I think in book one, he's a respectable and respected businessman and member of this suburban community. But I think by book two, after the the breakdown and all the stuff that went on in book one, I think he is now seen as a real weirdo to the extent which is why this guy freaks straight away after going because yeah. i expect before this business guy comes round, everyone's been saying <laughs> oh that's that's the dursley's the real don't do it. honestly mate it's not <laughs> worth the time and he's been really 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 charitable and gone no look come on you know i know people tell stories but at the same time he's yeah. always been all right with me <laughs> yeah so and yeah so he's going around, and and does and you can this is why They've been so worried about this visit. Dursley's like, this is my chance to finally prove I'm not some kind of freak. <laughs> this, uh, this happens with the floating <laughs> trifle and the owl attack. <laughs> yeah, the owl trifle incident. So, and, and, and from there, just, so your, your theory is that he just kind of completely goes over off, off the edge after this and he's like, right, right, I'm leaning into it. I will be Vernon Dursley, creepy man with bars on his the windows <laughs> of his house. Yeah, because he, he took him on a, um, a presumably no leave approved um, sort of unauthorised jaunt to a, a rocky outcrop with armed only with a couple of bags of crisps and a double-powered shotgun in the last book, didn't he? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd forgotten the shotgun. <laughs> oh, heavens. <laughs> yeah. So, he's yeah, I think he really is. I mean, the bars on the window, I think he... He's he's lost the ability to present normality, and he's just he's just that sort happened. of yeah. In not a, the harrowing not in a of Vernon Dursley truly has yeah. gone up a notch. I mean, we're only in book two, so goodness knows where this ends with Vernon Dursley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my assumption is that the Dursley chapters are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> as a proportion of the book as we go along. Otherwise, I do not know where he goes from here. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the, the the bars are rattling because there's a flying car outside. Um, with good old Ron in it and his two his two big brothers, Fred and George. 
because um, they're, they're, they're you know, a shenanigan mat, an enormous <laughs> floating shenanigan. That's what this is. Yeah, they're going to do a breakout Wild West style where they just basically yeah. pull the bars off the uh, off the prison. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, with with with, I mean, admittedly, a magical antique car but an antique car nonetheless i love that detail that like this is like this kind of low-key faith in engineering standards of the 50s that it's just it's fine like it's we can completely rip these prison prison bars out of the wall here with this car not a problem won't lose the bumper or anything um so it turns out fred and george um even though the magicians have, have taken to learning things like lock picking because we find out a bit more later that their dad is sort of mad into muggle stuff and obviously, somewhere that's rubbed off on on them because they've sort yeah. of they've learned some of these tricks, which you'd never imagine a, a wizard would ever worry about. But um, they, that means they can go down and get all all of Harry's stuff out of the uh, the cupboard under the stairs. I quite like how Harry's really worried about them creaking on the stairs. Uh, there's a there's one creaky step on the stairs, and he's really worried about it after they've just basically blown off the uh, <laughs> blown off the bars and burning stairs. I, I didn't even think of that. That's hilarious. Okay, we're going to do major structural damage to the outside of the house. But to be fair, it is double glazed, so they probably won't hear it. But I'll tell you, if you step on that creaky stair, they're going to know. <laughs> so they um they they get all the stuff out. It looks like they're getting away scot free. And they're just about to leave when they nearly forget the poor owl which is still stuck in that tiny cage. And it screeches its head off, quite rightly. So they've <laughs> got to go back to get it. And then Vernon wakes up and they nearly escape. And Vernon runs over and like, grabs Harry. And at this point, I'm like, why do you care, Vernon? He's leaving. Yeah, just let him go. Let him go. Let him go. <laughs> Reschedule the meeting for next week. Exactly, My yeah. disturbed nephew is elsewhere. Because <laughs> once Harry's oh, gone, no. he's got he's got nine months of repairing his reputation that he can do because he's not going to see him for all that time. But um, for some reason, he's just desperate <laughs> to keep this kid here, which is making his life a misery. Again, he's just not thinking straight. No, oh, absolutely the howling not. of Vernon Dursley. <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> they make their escape. And uh, they're they're heading out, and uh, the the sort of Harry sort of shares this Dobby warning with with the rest of them, and Ron's suggestion is maybe it's some kind of practical joke to keep Harry away. And suddenly yeah. Harry's like, ah, yeah, who would have a house elf? Who's rich enough to have a house elf? Probably Malfoy. Who, Malfoy. Yeah, who would be likely to send his house elf over yeah. to to pretend On, to give me a warning with a to keep me away? Pretty weak attempt at preventing Harry Potter from going back to school. To yeah, it, it. To be fair, it is such a Malfoy plan, isn't it? Compared to the it last is, book, yeah, it's a twelve-year-old <laughs> Malfoy plan. It's definitely a like, oh, he's my best guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a there's a weird little side story going on here where Percy, the um, the eldest of the Weasleys that's still at school, is acting really strangely um, mm. after getting this new L because he's become a he's become a prefect now, mm. um, and we we hear about their um, the dad. The reason they've got a flying car, as as you said earlier, is um, their father, like Mister Weasley, Arthur Weasley. Uh, works in the <laughs> rather ironically works in the misuse of Muggle artifacts office, um, but also loves misusing Muggle artifacts himself. <laughs> and yeah, the I car. loved about this. 
is that he's like we we come to this in a little bit that he's he's like made this car like completely contrary to the rules. And slightly later on, somebody presents him with this, and he goes, "Actually, there is a loophole in the law around that." <laughs> and they're like, "You wrote the law. You made the loophole exactly so you could have this." Car. And I love that. I love the idea of there just being one guy sitting there going, "Hang on a minute." <laughs> if I write it this way and not this way, then I can have a beautiful 1950s classic car which also flies within the law. <laughs> it's such a civil servant prank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they get home to Ron's house um, called The Burrow and we're introduced to what a sort of a rough and tumble wizard's house looks like. Not yeah. the richest, but um, but sort of, it's just... It just like just feels like a good family home, isn't it? Even it's even homey. without all the yeah, it's homey. Yeah, you got to give it that. Um, <laughs> uh, Ron's mum comes striding across the lawn because they got to catch hell for this. She's like onto a Valkyrie wronged. <laughs> this is tremendous. This is like absolute angry mum stuff. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Right down to this is really well observed. How she absolutely gives it to all the boys, um, like absolutely shouts them down, gives it all the sort of all the fury goes onto them. Apart from the guest, who is absolutely. treated like it's fine. you know, yeah, That's like a prince. You're a guest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so she's really nice to Harry, and she just like yeah, she the, the, she, the rest of them cop it really badly. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Um, so they go into the go into the house. I like this one. The one one of the magical things in the house, which kind of makes the book feel like a product of his time, is one of the magical things is that there's the self washing up area, where like a mum puts the dishes to one side and then it, they just get washed for her. And it's basically a dishwasher, but um, yeah. a magical one, <laughs> an unimaginable gadget from the early <laughs> days of this thing. There's many. There are many things actually. I was thinking that about um, another bit later on in this. Where like the you know these owls carrying letters back and forth, hmm. and like because this is written in whatever it is in nineteen ninety eight, it's not realistic for school children to have phones back then. Yeah, speaking to somebody who was a school child back then and was delighted to get his phone in like nineteen ninety nine or something. Hmm. Um, like but so but so much of this plot at the start of the setup of this plot would fail if there was anything more sophisticated than letters by which magicians <laughs> yeah. could communicate. <laughs> So, one of the jobs they've got to do as punishment is um, denoming the garden. Um, so they've got to go out, and the gnomes aren't what you'd imagine. They're not these uh, little Father Christmases of fishing rods like they describe in the, in the book. They're sort of little potato people that are like really, really like angry and rough and uh, mischievous <laughs> and run around the garden. So, um, and with really sharp teeth as well. Yeah, yeah. So they spend a few hours sort of chasing around, chasing these little potato people around and chucking them out the garden. And like at the end, a little procession of them just sort of trudge off over the hill, all dejected, like, oh, damn it, <laughs> and chucked out the garden again. Well, I mean, and obviously, you know what that reminds me of, Matt, so vaguely humanoid but not really kind of uh, creatures sort of just slouching off over the horizon completely dejected after a total failure of their attempt to do what they were trying to do, Matt. We're back in Horrorland. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they go back in and uh, Arthur comes home 
And the thing, thing, I actually really love this moment because it felt like um, a really warm description of what what's sort of great about fatherhood. In that, he's not got the he's not got the like the best job in the world or the or the sort of nicest house, but he comes in all exhausted, and like all his kids are really excited to see him. And you're like, God, yeah. that's you know, you'd take that, yeah. wouldn't you? It's just a it's just a really yeah. nice moment where all his day. kids are genuinely excited to see him. It's just mm. it is it's such a lovely thing as well as like he kind of he returns to this like and he's such a good thing of like oh we had to do nine raids and somebody <laughs> nearly scalped me because apparently being a civil servant who writes the laws in Magic Land also involves you being first through the door with the riot gear on and and it just it's just this great kind of like like slumped shoulders great exhaustion thing and then there's just this like the warmth of the home just kind of bears him up and mm. it's it is just lovely it's just a really lovely this this whole chapter of course the point of this whole chapter is to contrast how nice it is to be in a functional family environment that's that's de- defined by love as against what it's like to be in dursley land <laughs> where it's defined by i don't know why they keep him but it seems not to have occurred to them to just let him go and live with the weasleys <laughs> Um, he describes a few things that wizards do just to wind non-wizards up, like they um, they give them shrinking keys that keep disappearing and things like that. <laughs> oh, satire. <clears throat> yeah, and then Molly, Mrs. D- uh, Weasley, barrels in with, oh yeah, like charming cars. And, uh, like... <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's the other thing about having a large family, isn't it, is that you've definitely got an audience of people big enough to behind the mum just go... <laughs> yeah, although unfortunately for them, many of those in the house are sort of in the firing line here because this is all about your son's next to flying car. Um, <laughs> and I love, I love the dad thing that he does here, uh, Mr. Weasley, when he's told this. His first response when he's told how what happened is to go, "Really brilliant! Did it work? Was it good?" And then <laughs> yeah. just sort of you hear himself wind himself in and go, "Also, that was very irresponsible, and you definitely shouldn't have done it. Tut tut, indeed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a real softie, isn't he? You can tell. You can tell who actually has. He needs to sort of put down the iron discipline in the household. And, uh, and yeah, he he's definitely does. Yeah. Um, so he got, so then Harry sort of retires to to Ron's room, and it's uh, he's really impressed with just how cool like a, a a wizard child's room is. It's just plastered with these. Um, basically all orange, this uh, Chudley Cannons Quidditch team that Ron's really into. Um, yeah. And that was quite nice. He just looks around and he's like, it's brilliant. Um, chapter four, at Flourish and Blots. So um, in the house, Harry's really popular, getting loads of attention. I thought actually this little bit is probably the reason why Dumbledore thought he can't stay somewhere like this, like the Weasleys. Yeah. Because yeah. he's just sort of waited on hand and for everybody loves him. And you're like, ah, yeah, if you grew up just being absolutely like adored by everyone, but to the extent of he's famous. You'd have a bad case of the Malfoys, wouldn't you, actually? That's yeah. exactly, you'd end up, you'd, you'd, like Dumbledore's like, listen, Lucius has just had one, and that's not going to turn out well. I cannot have two little Malfoys in my life, quickly. <laughs> Send him to learn how to be a complete git, but in a muggle way instead. Uh, they, they all get the reading list for the year, 
and it is the it is the biggest corporate stitch up of you that you'll ever read. <laughs> Basically, Lockhart, uh, this new character, this wizard who's written a load of textbooks, has somehow convinced Hogwarts to basically make every book on the reading list his textbooks. I love it. <laughs> you you got to make got to make that money, make that magic money. <laughs> yeah. Um, Errol brings in brings in a letter, which is uh, from Hermione. That's a David Bowie song. Um, and oh, nice. uh, letter to Hermione, I think. And and that's uh, just a little reminder. Of, I, I quite like we managed to get just in a short letter, just a real reminder of what Hermione is like. Her sort of <laughs> excitement, but also like lecturing tone about what what has just occurred is great. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very much like oh, welcome back, Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's very much like great that you're out. Um, what on earth were you thinking? <laughs> 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 Lovely, delighted for you. What is the matter with you? Does nobody care about rules anymore? <laughs> yeah, um, they the the boys all head out to to do a bit of Quidditch practice outside because poor Harry, don't forget, he's supposed to be the star player and he's not managed to do anything over the summer. So, um... you're not getting away with that, are you? That's very much turning up on the first day, and you end the first training session being told to do laps of the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> none of you have done any practice over the summer. Yeah. Um, then they they're going to head over to Diagon Alley to do the shopping ahead of the new school year. Um, a new way of travelling uh, now introduces itself to us, which is flu powder, mm. where you basically stand in a fireplace and use a bit of this powder. It teleports you to another fireplace. Um, mm. Unfortunately for Harry, he coughs as he's giving the directions. <laughs> And ends up in some weird shop in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this is <laughs> again. I do feel a bit like building this mode of transportation around the existence of open flues is like, like, is this an idea you came up with in the seventies? Because even in the late nineties, that's like a lot of people have radiators and gas fires these days. How's this going to work? <laughs> is it a requirement if you're going to be a wizard? that you stick to coal fires. <laughs> I'm sure they could find different ways of lighting a fire. Than... I suppose if you had magic, you'd want the best-looking fire. True. And Again, and that, I know. apply logic to a magical story. <laughs> Bad habit. Hold on. <clears throat> Off the top of the It's Magic Day of card, uh, deck of cards. <laughs> <write> that one <clears throat> day. Yeah. Oh, how had I forgotten the It's Magic Day of cards? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So Harry ends up in this weird shop called Borgin and Burks, which is sort of like a, a creepy stuff emporium, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Borgin and Burks, creepy stuff. Creeping people <laughs> since time immemorial. <laughs> um, and who should show up as, as, as Harry's just sort of getting his bearings? But arch nemesis Malfoy and his dad. Lucius. <sighs> Yeah, and um, Lucius rather suspiciously doesn't refer to Voldemort by name or by he who must not be named. He refers to him as the Dark Lord, um, and he's, he's, got, he's got to he's got to he's got to sell some stuff at knockdown prices because uh, he's got word that um, Weasley's about to <laughs> the Muggle artifacts guys are about to raid his house. <laughs> what do we What do we think this is that he's trying to unload here? What we, <laughs> like. Definitely I'm imagining cereal spoons that become increasingly large the more you dip them into milk so that the third <laughs> spoonful, you're like a wide-mouthed frog trying to eat it. 
Oh yeah, is it? Is this a lot of stuff he's been using to wind up muggles? Is yeah, this is it. It's not anything to do with any sort of conspiracy involving the Dark Lord in the slightest. <laughs> what it is is just a fairly weak set of magic-powered practical jokes to be played on the muggles. Yeah, so like exploding, exploding plugs, and just like <laughs> I don't know. Like cereal that doesn't pour and stuff like that. Or USB USB sticks, which are always the wrong way up, no matter how many times you turn them over to put them into the slot. <laughs> yeah, guitars that just detune themselves every yeah, five seconds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mid song, take... always mid song. <laughs> you got to take these eight detuning guitars off my hands. The <laughs> artifacts boys are coming around listen, any minute. <laughs> listen, if he sees them, he's going to know the game's up. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, so he's trying to he's trying to sell some stuff quite quickly because uh, he doesn't want to get busted. And it's it's clear again. We got some some sort of mention of this in the first book, but Malfoy's parents are pretty sort of in with the in with the old uh, Voldy when he was uh, when he was at his height. And then they did, they did the classic. Oh, oh what, I think me? I was I think I was uh, under the influence of uh, you know I think I might have been hypnotized. Can I come back and like be friends again? Can, can I, I not yeah, go to prison, reach. please, ever? That would be delightful if I could just... Can we forget it? Yeah, cheers, cheers, thanks, thanks. Yeah, and they sort of opened the vault, at, the personal vault at Gringotts and was like, ah, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> you can go back to your house, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so I love... Um, it, it's been... He's sort of... He says he's, you know, he's not been raided yet because... Um, the the Malfoy name still holds a certain respect in the ministry. Like he, we're a bit untouchable still, but not completely. Yeah. Um, suspect they were more untouchable when Voldemort was. Yeah. Of, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, Malfoy's after picking up. Um, he, he, <laughs> he finds he finds this artifact, which is wonderfully named the Hand of Glory. <laughs> it's, it's like oh, fancy bit of this, and it's uh, it's this thing that helps you steal stuff. And his dad's like, "I'm hoping that my son's going to be something more than a thief." So um, you know, not even that. <laughs> his son's like, like "Oh yeah, privilege, yeah, yeah." <clears throat> Probably going to become a chartered surveyor, aren't I, Dad? Yeah. All right, <laughs> That's I didn't understand. I didn't understand this hand thing. It's like you put a light in it, like mm. a like a candle, and then it stays lit forever, or like. What's the hand got? I didn't. I didn't follow it at all. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm known. I, I wasn't 100 percent sure myself, to be honest. Um, there's a, there's also a cursed necklace sitting around, oh. which has killed 19 muggles already. What about that? That's pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> again, again, he's got a sign on it saying "Don't touch," which, as a sales technique, you'd have to say it's. It's it's more about the glitter than the jewels, isn't it? Like, just buy this and then don't ever use it for anything. Under pain of death, 19 people already. My God, why do we keep selling these things? <laughs> well, yeah, and also, you got to question sort of the effectiveness of the, like, anti-misuse of muggle artefacts people. If, um, you know, if they're, worried about shrink- <laughs> they're worried about shrinking keys, but there's this necklace that's killed 19 <laughs> muggles, and it's still for sale. And everybody knows, as it turns out, this is a road... That everybody knows is where all the dark art stuff is, and yeah. it never never occurs to Arthur Weasley to wander down there and go, "All right, got anything <laughs> in here that might look a bit muggly, a little bit killed nineteen yeah. people ish? Anything yeah. in here? Well, is it no? Any guitars? Which, 
<laughs> yeah. Much as I dislike the Malfoys, if you're going to raid anyone, surely you're going to raid Borgen and Burks to see what's in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, there's another little little note here as well where um, Malfoy mentions that Hermione is doing better than he is. And his dad's like kind of mortified with that. Like uh, um, someone fan. who isn't even pure blood is, is making Massive a, a fool fan. of his son. Every mm. single time. And again, I think this subtext, when I read it as a kid, didn't grab me quite so much. But this time out just seeing somebody whose whole thing is I'm better than you because of who my ancestors were get owned book in book out by somebody who's just good because she's good is mm. like chef's kiss it's just glorious mm. I quite like as well <clears throat> after the Malfoys leave Borgin does the classic like back chat to himself like oh, so <laughs> stores it all up and he goes yeah you're not so big Malfoy <laughs> so I'm gonna <laughs> So um, Harry leaves as well, and t- it turns out he's in this, he's in sort of the rough part of Diagon Alley, which is a little street next to it called Nocturne Alley, um, and this is where uh, this is where Harry's ended up. He's quite lucky that he's, he's only he's only missed his stop by one, basically by um, by Coffin. Is he? <laughs> you think about all the fire grates there are in the world, even all the yeah. fire grates there are in the world filled with magic fire and owned by wizards. You could have ended <laughs> up a long way away. Yeah, um, Hagrid's knocking about down here for some reason. So he says he's looking for flesh-eating slug repellent, but it's luckily for Harry that he's there because he's uh, he sort of he can drag him out and say, you know, you don't want to you don't want to be knocking about down there, Harry. It's no no place for a young wizard. <laughs> um, so, what what yeah. are you looking for, Hagrid? Oh, uh, uh, flesh. Yeah, it was gardening. That's what I was doing down there. It's my garden. <laughs> Yeah, there's Borgen and Burke, and then next door there's basically the wizards B and Q. It's very dangerous, all the tools. Oh, goodness, yes, not not for you, Harry. Anyway, off you go. Yeah. So we have this like meeting then, so Hagrid, Hermione, um, and the, the Weasleys all sort of meet up in uh, Diagon Alley. You get all the sort of warm feels from it. Yeah. Um, Mr. Weasley, because... Harry mentions about Malfoy in Borgen and Burks, and Weasleys are like, "Oh, I'd love to nail him. I'm going after Malfoy." And I always, whenever I uh, sort of read that, I always thought, "Oh, I don't know. Like, I kind of worry that in a going up against it, I feel like Malfoy might have like the better of that, and he'd sort of worry for Weasley going after for Weasley. Him. I love that Weasley's up for it though, and we see that <laughs> in this bit that like he's not like he's not doing that thing of like oh I wish I could take him out, but he's just too powerful and strong. <laughs> he's like I wish I could take him out, and honestly, if he looks at me the wrong way, I am having it. I am having it here and now, and it happens. It's so good. <laughs> Um, Arthur Weasley also is just fascinated by Hermione's parents who are, you know, actual real life muggles. So they're like superstars to him. He wants to ask them loads of questions about their life. So <laughs> about, that's like, quite interesting. Escalators and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I really appreciate that because he's supposed to be such like an expert on muggle artifacts and stuff. And then mm. he's like, So the locks that you put on the doors, what's <laughs> that all about? You tell me about something. Milk in tea. What's the function of... Anyway, been thinking a lot about books, pages that turn themselves. What's going on there? It's just this really like simple, low-level understanding of muggle life, such that he's like, I must take you for a drink and hear everything about forks. Just, you know, whatever it is. 
they, they go on this quick, quick visit to Gringotts to get some money out, and um, this is a couple of a couple of moments in this. There's a, there's one earlier on, but I thought I'd just wait till we got here to mention it. Um, there's a couple of moments where Harry feels really quite awkward because of how rich he is compared to the Weasleys. And it's really summed up here where like they go to the Weasley's vault and they sort of scrape up pretty much everything else they've got so they can yeah. buy the stuff for the kids for school. And then Harry goes to his vault and he's kind of trying to hide the massive amount of wealth in there as he picks his few coins out. Yeah. And it's just like, I thought it was quite interesting how sort of he's he struggles to really... Um, know how to deal with this at his age yeah. as a child like how to deal with the fact that he's got a load of money but all these sort of people he really cares about and really looks up look up to um don't and he's sort of he's not really sure how to be about it or what to say yeah. you know yeah yeah and it's i think that's an interesting one of the interesting places where he's like he does have a real dilemma and he's just got no no toolkit yet for working out how to answer that dilemma so all he is is just a bit awkward and that that's really real that's true that's what it's like the first time you're trying to work this stuff out when you're sort of when you're that age it's just like oh god i don't know and i've no way of knowing how to know it seems awkward i'm just gonna hide you know and i think i think the difference is as well it's the fact that it's ron's parents because in the first first book when ron joins them on the train and he's just got these rubbish sandwiches and no money to buy snacks i was like oh don't worry about it i'll just buy a lot of stuff but when it's like two people who he sort of are above him and like you know sort of adult figures, yeah, he's obviously he can't he doesn't feel he can be the same. He can't sort of say, "Oh, do you want some of this money?" Because it's because yeah. it's it's just it just doesn't work socially. So he's not he's a bit sort of kind of short. So he just doesn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and again, like yeah, he's just he's a bit lost, and I really felt for him. You know, it's. What's the, what is the right thing to do? How on earth would I know? I've been raised by people who lock me under the stairs. <laughs> yeah. How am I supposed to know that? And it's just you. I really feel it. Yeah, I like how um, the the shopping trips all sort of very like give you just remind you of what the characters are like. So Fred and George are, are buying wet start fireworks, and uh, and percy's leafing through a, a book called prefects who gained power uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a type there's a type Matthew. <laughs> um okay we go to flourish and blots the bookshop and uh we meet one of my favorite harry potter characters of all time um it is the uh we mentioned him earlier and now he arrives gilderoy lockhart <laughs> he's doing a book signing of magical me He's uh, so, me. <laughs> he's name for a book for a <laughs> wizard as well as if literally everybody in your entire target audience hasn't also been able to legitimately describe themselves as magical but you're like but it's me baby it's me I'm the magic <laughs> yeah and he sees he sees Potter and he's like, oh, fantastic! Straight away, he, I mean, he knows he knows how to get the sort of um, in a, in ten years ten years time, he'll be the expert of getting the Facebook likes, and twenty years time, an expert of getting sort of the the retweets and the Instagram <laughs> and the Instagram followers. He he's an influencer, <laughs> Gilderoy Lockhart at Gilderoy, and he's just <laughs> selling off his retweets. Gilderoy Lockhart promoted Fire Festival, and you can put that in the bank. <laughs> and I like how he says he sort of announces 
that um, you know, he's like, when Harry stepped into Florian Blotz, he just wanted to buy my autobiography. But he, he says, but he had no idea that he'd shortly be getting much more than the book. He and his schoolfellows will be getting the real magical me because <laughs> he's going to be the new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher. Love it. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? This thing that's designed in this palpably unsafe educational environment, as we've discovered previously, the guy whose job it is to prepare you for the dark side of all of that turns out to be a, a preening, self-important, you know, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and the crowd absolutely love it. He's like super popular, and everyone's just just sort of fainting with praise at how amazing this guy is. So so Harry gets dragged up there in front of all the like the flashing cameras and like the adoring fans, and of course Malfoy just happens to be in the background. So as soon as he leaves, as soon as he gets down off the stage, Malfoy's like, "Bet you love that Potter." You know? <laughs> the only, the only, the only... <laughs> which means he's run to the front of this where this is happening so that he can put the first elbow in <laughs> yeah. uh, this is like right, quickly somebody's going to say something snide because that was well out of order and it's going to be me I'm going to get there I hope you enjoyed it Potter <laughs> yeah. um, and his dad's there as well and this is where Lucius and, and Arthur have this like full on scrap and I love how uh, you just hear uh, Fred and George say get him dad as he goes in <laughs> <laughs> it's so good <laughs> oh, it's because there's nobody so plainly deserves it as Draco Malfoy, whoever it is responsible for bringing Draco Malfoy into the world. That's yeah. the guy that deserves to get taken out by Arthur Weasley, and it's delightful. Yeah, although someone who isn't delighted is is his wife Molly, who sort of scolds him. He's like, "What what would Lockhart think of what's just happened?" And it's, it's clear she's got a little bit of a crush on him as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, on to chapter five, last one for today. It's the Whomping Willow. <laughs> so, every uh, time I hear this, by the way, I can't not think who put the womp in the bumper womp bomb. I just can't <laughs> not think that, and I, I need to share that with the rest of the world. <laughs> so they have a they have another month at the burrow before they go back to school, and it's like a really like happy time for Harry. Yeah. Um, and then they they get in the they get in the super magical car, and uh, and head over to the the train station in a, in a uh, super non magical way as well, which I completely love. Yeah, get everybody yeah. in the car and then drive slowly down the M5. <laughs> yeah, and I love how they keep going, have to keep going back for stuff as well because someone's always forgotten something. Yeah, that's that just that's the problem realistic. with the car that you can. <laughs> a car that you can magically expand so you fit everybody in it and all of their luggage means that you have no upper limit you, you, to the number of things that somebody can go, oh, I need this, can we go back and get it? You can't say, no, there's no room. And you've got a car full of kids multiplying the likelihood that that will occur. It's a dad's nightmare, Matt. It's a dad's <laughs> nightmare, this car. <laughs> yeah, so like you say, there's a veto on the invisibility cloak from mum. So they've got to head over just normally. But once they get to the station, everyone else goes through. But Harry and Ron have been blocked from getting to platform nine and three quarters. Like everyone else goes through the portal and they're stuck outside. For some reason, it's not working. Mm. So they're like, oh no, we've missed the train. It's like, we're going to have to go and wait. Right replacement bus service. (laughs) Yeah. He's just like, oh, we're going to have to go and. uh, go and wait by the car for mum and dad. And they just sort of look at each other like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, <laughs> I smell a caper. 
That's exactly it, isn't it? And oh, just the sheer giddy joy of it. Because I, I mean, I absolutely remember that sort that moment when, as a child, you realised that there was something cool that you really wanted to do that you could do that nobody was going to stop you doing, even though they probably would if they knew about it. There's nothing like that realization. Oh, quickly, quickly, get in the flying car and fly it, because we can fly it. There's a flying car that we need to take. There's a reasonable excuse that we'll fly the car which flies. <laughs> a reasonable excuse. That's paper thin as far as I'm concerned. But we, this... oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, instead of waiting by the car for mum and dad to come back out, five, presumably five minutes later, um, when they're wondering where the hell the kids are, they're like... We could just get in the car and drive it to school ourselves. And Harry puts up like a a shred, and I, I mean a shred of sort of resistance to this. Like, is that is that cool? And I love Ron's response. He's like, "Yeah, if it's in an emergency, it's like section nineteen or something of the restriction of thingy." It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like good enough for me. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So they stick on the invisibility cloak and they take off. Unfortunately, the invisibility cloak doesn't work particularly well, and it can, <laughs> this flying car keeps flickering in and out of existence as it flies off all these houses in, in England. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful! It's completely wonderful, and I do love the sort of range when, when obviously, when this caper obviously falls flat in a few pages time the range of headlines that come out from all the local newspapers <laughs> all the way up the route. To, to, to Hogsmeade it's so good <laughs> it's just such a wonderful like boys behaving badly like moment this isn't it oh, just, it's, it's just two lads having just a caper wonderful. <laughs> yeah exactly it's full on caper caper with a capital cape <laughs> so um so they, they, they take off and it's just, you know, obviously it's just at first it's just amazing they're flying above the clouds in this car so exciting they're following the train they get catch sight of the train and keep dipping below the clouds to keep an eye on it as they follow it um unfortunately six hours in because this train takes ages they're sort of plastered with sweat uncomfortable and like some of the novelty's worn off but you know i'm quite impressed they're plastered with sweat instead of shivering to death like they're quite high (laughs) up and i'm not sure those cars were necessarily built for altitude (laughs) Yeah, or well, magic car, but uh, the <laughs> all right, he's magic Dave. Chalk it up. <laughs> Unfortunately, as they get well, I suppose kind of fortunately, just as they get towards the school, the um, the engine starts to die, and it's like oh, man, the car was designed to fly rather than dying somewhere like fifty miles further south, which would have left <laughs> them absolutely no. There'd be no scrape at the end of the cape. There would just be. A fairly boring lay-by somewhere in like in Northumberland. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, it's, sticking with it, it's magical. Dad Arthur Weasley must have put some sort of magical load-bearing support in his car because it comes crashing out of the sky into a tree, and uh, Ron and Harry somehow just sort of paced on the dashboard <laughs> by the end of it. <laughs> no, do you know what this? I actually think we might have put our finger here on why it had to be an old fifties car, right? Why Ford yeah. Anglia, particularly? I don't know, but um, there's a. It was like it was the Morris Minor. There were there were like 
there are stories of people driving Morris Miners, which were all built in the sort of 50s and 60s, with like, they were all built with really thick metal and really, really sturdy frames. Right. So, like, people being having car accidents that should have ended up with them being crushed, but because they were in these particular cars walking away. And it would be so good if that was actually what had happened here, that it's like, the, the, as well as everything else, Arthur Weasley is like, and that is why we did it in a classic. I don't know. Very, very thick metal <laughs> aside, crashing out of the sky into a tree at something like 90 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm not sure you, you walk are right. away from that. Even before we get to the fact that the tree is... It's not exactly a passive part of this process. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they crash into this tree at the sky. No broken bones, but one broken wand. Unfortunately, Ron's wand is just sort of hanging oh. by a thread. It's gutted. Yeah. Um, and then no time to mourn the, the death of the wand because the tree, like as you say, starts to hit them. So um, the <laughs> it's car... It's such a weird idea. <laughs> I just love this so much. On a school <laughs> campus, let's enchant yeah. some of the trees so that they just randomly attack people and then <laughs> and then allow people to attend for a full 12 months without telling them that this is what happens. <laughs> well, I think I think Ron says at some point, I oh, hope it's the Whomping Willow, so I think it has got a rep. So Ron knows. But with all respect and love to Ron, right... There is nobody putting a hit out on Ron Weasley. Harry Potter, however, who we've been told on many occasions goes in fear of his life because of an enormous conspiracy of terrible wizards that just magically disappeared shortly after he was born, right? He hasn't been told about the tree that could kill you if you walk too close to it. Like, in a single pound as well. It's not like you get a warning shot. It's not like it tickles you first. You'll just die. <laughs> Yeah, good point. So they've crashed into the Whomping Willow. Um, the car reverses them out and then just thinks, I've had enough of this. Kicks them out of the of the car. So the car kicks them out, gets rid of, <laughs> throws the luggage out, and then just drives off into the forest. Amazing. Like, Strong out. Stephen King vibes about that, isn't it? That yeah. is max, maximum overdrive. Just gone absolutely <laughs> nuts. The thing I love about this as well is, as the car's driving off into the forest, Ron shouts, come back, Dad'll kill me. And that just made me think of the amazing scene it must have been just to see Arthur and Molly walking out of King's Cross Station <laughs> to find the car gone. <laughs> Where's it gone? And the scene three days later when the, when the car, having, having had a nice little meander back down, plumped for B roads to get home, um, rolls back in and you just... <laughs> You've just you've just got Mrs. Weasley standing there going, and where exactly have you been? Mm. <laughs> I just assume that when they came out of the station, no kids, no car, that they've thought Arthur's probably gone, Oh, is the is the invisibility clock just turned itself on? So this he's just what? sort of waving his hands around <laughs> trying to find it. <laughs> Are you sure this is where you parked it? Yes, I'm sure. Poke poke. Well it's not here, is it? Poke poke. Oh no, I suppose it Turns, seems not to. Maybe I left the window open. Hang on, let me just know. <laughs> just empty yeah. air. It's like the worst. Maybe you got towed away. <laughs> it's the worst example of coming out of the supermarket and not quite remembering where you parked the car. It's like, like oh man, anywhere. you know, you know that Arthur Weasley has done that at least once in that car. <laughs> where have you put it? Don't know. Why don't you know? Fix the invisibility this morning. 
Did you make you sure it, it worked? Turned it on. Where have you put it? I can't remember where I've parked it. It's all right. Just wait for all the other cars to leave the car park, and then it just you'll see it. <laughs> it's, mm. That's not going to help. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if they were sort of wandering around looking for the what they assumed was an invisible car for hours before they realised that had happened. But anyway, amazing. Yeah. So they're stuck without a car in the grounds, but they're like, oh well, you know, let's just make the best of it. Let's just get into the great hall, get a bit of food. Um, they arrive at the castle, they can see the sorting going on through the window. And uh, and they, they don't see Snape at the head table. They're like, where's Snape? Maybe he's ill. Maybe he's left. Maybe he got sacked. Oh. Maybe he's here. He's standing right behind him. Right though. behind you. It's a classic <laughs> sitcom move. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it's one of those it's one of those where you're like it's just literally Alan Rickman standing behind him. He's so he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's just can't imagine anybody other than Alan Rickman doing that. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's the it's the classic uh oh um off to the off to the office. Um and they're like, How does he know? Like and this is one of those a little moment here where Harry says, not for the first time, he wonders if Snape can like read minds or something, because he always yeah. seems to know what yeah. Harry's up to. And it's like you do have teachers like that at school where you think, yeah. how do they know? Like because your your sort of complex plans that you imagine when you're ten and eleven, like yeah. you don't realise quite how transparent they are to others. <laughs> so it's like, how did they know? How could they possibly know? The only weak link here is their mind. And that's the <laughs> Can't be that I've come up with a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah, he shows them the collection of uh, next day's papers, including flying Ford Anglia mystifies muggles, <laughs> <laughs> which I, lo- I love. How it's even made the front page of the like the the magical newspapers as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, it's like perfectly explicable event, nonetheless notable. <laughs> <laughs> so there's going to be com- consequences, and Snape's basically saying, look. If you're in my house, you'd be out. You'd be getting on the next Megabuzz back to <laughs> out of Hogwarts. You're gone. Um, and McGonagall arrives. And McGonagall's like, why didn't you just send an owl? And they sort of look at each other like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love her response to that as well. Because Harry goes, oh, we didn't think of that. And she goes, that you didn't think. That is clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, classic. That's a classic teacher telling off. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think. Yeah, you didn't think. So, oh. And then it gets worse because Dumbledore arrives and you think, oh, we are in big trouble. Like the big dog's here. He's going to send us a tan our ass. And Game over, up. man. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so the head arrives. It's like, this is serious. And he does the like ultimate, like, great teacher telling off where he's there. He's, yeah. he's, he's the ultimate, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed, where he sort of quietly goes, please, ex- please explain why you did this. And, oh. uh, it's like, oh no. Oh, needle in the ribs. It's just, there's no there's no getting up. We did it because it would be really fun, sir, and it seemed like it would be great, and I wanted to be in a flying car because it's a flying car. Yeah. It's one of, and again, it's this is the reason this works so well, it's so well observed with like any kind of hijinks you got up to as like as when you were when you were younger, um, obviously not involving anything like a flying car. But any <laughs> kind of da- you speak for yourself, mate. I had a blast. <laughs> but any kind of daft thing you did when you were a child that yeah. you just did because 
you, yeah. it just felt like it was going to be awesome. And then yeah. suddenly, after it's over and it's gone wrong, you're presented with sort of the consequences of your decision and yeah. the question, why didn't you see any of this coming? And why didn't you, <laughs> why didn't you think about what you were going to do before you did oh. it? Yeah, it's just yeah. very familiar to print, which I'm sure to everybody um, who's reading yes. it. Yes, very much. So, so yeah, they're like even even at this point, they're sort of they're trying to find a way to keep they're trying to find a way to keep Ron's dad out of it, and I just think, think <laughs> good luck. It seems <laughs> unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah. Not only is it his car, he's also the person who's responsible for this happening to everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I, you, you kind of get the feeling that um, the, the the people who are organising this raid on Malfoy's house might have suddenly got a new target. So yeah, <laughs> thanks very much, Ron. What um, you guys? Can you imagine him like Arthur organising the team to go out on the raid? And it's like, what's this one on the list here? It just says X. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that one, Arthur. What I mean, do you want my help though? Because it's you know I'm the sort of leader team. So, oh, no, don't worry about it, mate. It's um, probably best if you go home. Actually, thinking about it, just go go straight home and. Um, yeah, see you l- later. <laughs> so, so they're like, they're both like, oh, we're gonna get, we're getting expelled, aren't we? And it's like, not today. He's not gonna oh. kick him out, Dave. And, just... and <laughs> Snape, Snape can't believe it. And like many, <laughs> like many of us, Snape's like, absolutely, a hundred percent with Snape <laughs> and his incredulity here. He's like, they flew a, a, into a, tr- and then. The, <laughs> They're not being expelled. <laughs> it feels like it's one more in the column for the Potter gets special treatment lot. Because yeah, I mean, any it other really kid... is though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely what it is. There's no two ways about it. And, like, <laughs> and it also has to go in that category. And this must have been such a... It is a weird thing to write because there is clearly a plot that is going to explain at some point over the course of seven novels why apparently wise and considerable people like Dumbledore and McGonagall do this sort of thing. But we're not going to hear it anytime soon. And so you just end up with all these thousands of things happening where there's no explanation for why it happens. <laughs> like, why? Yeah, cause, why? Because <laughs> as much as you hate Snape... And as much of a as much, as much of you know is 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 a is a horrible teacher and yeah, yeah okay we all hate him but and Malfoy as well horrible pe- nasty piece of work but in this in the accusation oh Potter gets special treatment they're right he does constantly get special treatment absolutely does get just because he looks a little just because he never asks for it doesn't mean he's not getting special treatment as the vault full of magic money and the being able to steal a car fly it across the country and crash it into school property and not get expelled also indicates and if if Snape thinks this lack of expulsion is bad enough, it's just about to get worse for him, because McGonagall, once again, gaming the system, decides <laughs> to deduct no points from their escape. No, even better than that though is that Potter asks for it, and that you can see him just starting to get a little bit of like. I think I might get away with this. It's like it's it's absolutely the bit where you've got away with whatever year is you've got away with, and then and then you run into a copper and ask them to lend you a fiver. You know what I mean? It's just like I reckon I can actually come out of this ahead. Let me see. Yeah, once again, if you remember, 
Back in the first book, Hermione got docked five points for taking a book out of the library. <laughs> they've just, they just crashed a five tree. Five points. <laughs> yeah. And they've just flown Grand a car. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto the car across England, <laughs> revealing it to countless muggles. Crashed it into an ancient tree. And they're not going to get a single point. Because it happened before six o'clock in the afternoon on that particular day is fine. Which begs the <laughs> yeah. question, actually... You could do whatever you like on board the Hogwarts Express by this logic and just get away with it, couldn't you? Because <laughs> that's before term starts as well. It's fine. Set fire to it. Who cares? Go yeah. dealing up and down the corridor. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. No no house points deducted. Yeah, it feels like McGonagall's got him off on a technicality here, hasn't she? No joke. <laughs> and again, will we find out why? Not for quite some time. <laughs> Can you imagine Snape going into Dumbledore's office saying, what is the point of this house cup stuff? I mean, she's just she's just checking the mate. <laughs> oh, Snape is definitely giving the full Jose Mourinho interview, isn't he, after at the end of this particular house thing. Well, look, we've got to say the best house lost. Uh, it's... It's very, very clear, you know. We uh, we played better, and, and then they, uh, they they didn't get any points deducted. But you've got to ask the ref about that, I guess. <laughs> what about the the points the, the the points deduction for the tree? The lack of points deduction. Um, I cannot speak about that. If I speak about that, I get in trouble as usual. So I can't. <laughs> as say, usual, you know, I can't that's it. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I expect there'll be there'll be one or two suspect um, points handing out. In retaliation, I'm sure Snape's going to like. Yeah, it, it's such a broken tomorrow. system, this isn't it? <laughs> like where the the people who are really invested in the success of their house are the people who award the points within the house. <laughs> we'll Draco, you've win. managed to make it in here without setting yourself on fire. Fifty points to Slytherin. Fifty points to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, Don't worry so about that. I'll smooth it over with Dumbledore. Your dad will be delighted. <laughs> so Snape is raging. Um, but there's nothing they can do about it. She's got him off on a technicality, so the the scot free. They're going to get detention. No, no more than that. So uh, <laughs> they start trudging off. Ron's like, I can't believe it. Fred and George nick the car all the time and they never get caught. <laughs> what, what what did I do wrong? It's like again, song, that's like yeah. like the young younger brother vibes. There, it must it, <laughs> like that exact thing of like. My older siblings get away with this stuff all the time. I do it once. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> they meet up with Hermione at the portrait, and she knows the password to get him into the common room. They walk into the common room, and it's like proper heroes welcome. And everyone's <laughs> like, yes! <laughs> Reckless behaviour, it's the Gryffindor way! <laughs> yeah, absolutely! <laughs> Break the law, make it happen, get away with it. That's Gryffindor, baby. That's <laughs> Gryffindor. Yeah, so they get the heroes welcome. They start tagging hands through the common room. Oh, it's so good, then, isn't it? And then they sort of up to bed. So by the end of the day, like after the telling off, after the fairly weak, what turns out, telling off, they um, they go to bed feeling really quite pleased with themselves. About what yeah, no they joke. Did. Oh, and having yeah. been given a sort of slap-up meal by McGonagall as well, isn't it? With this, like, magically <laughs> replenishing plate of sandwiches so you literally eat as much as you want, iced pumpkin juice and the rest. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, and that's that. They go to bed thinking, yeah, pretty decent day's work, all in all. Good caper, well done. GG, GG. Oh, dear. <laughs> It's, I mean, I don't see how it can go wrong from here, Matt, to be honest with you. They've come through come through this these opening shenanigans, and surely from here it's all straightforward. Smooth <laughs> screws in. 
Yeah, so that's the first part. Very, very enjoyable. Um, I think this is going to be another good one because yes, uh, I enjoyed I reading it and I certainly enjoyed doing the podcast on it. So yes, um, hope you hope you did. Hope you enjoyed it too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, this is it's it's nice nice to be back on the horse. It's been a long while doing that. Nice to be back on the shark. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's lovely. I'm looking forward to the rest of the book. Um, and if uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything in the book so far or anything in the book coming up then do um do send your feedback to shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com or you can get us on twitter at shark liver oil uh, but we shall return for part two um of book two um as soon as we possibly can we'll try not to keep it too long um, we do have a lot going on in our personal lives at the moment so <laughs> we'll record as soon as we can pandemic's and, uh, gonna pandemic part two and it's a bit yeah it's that too uh, but we'll find some way We'll find yes. somewhere keeping the magic going Absolutely. on short liver oil. 100%. Until next time. All right. Toodaloo.